Good morning. As we move to the next section of James, you will notice that his tone changes. This is because the believers to whom he was writing were actually fighting and quarreling with one another, and he will rebuke them in order to call them to repentance. I said yesterday that we are blessed here at Geneva and that we generally don't have to deal with this problem. That being said, the passage before us is still very instructive in that it will reveal to us what does cause quarrels and fights so we can work hard as a community to avoid these things or to take corrective action when we see them creeping into our thinking or in the way that we treat one another. This is all very important to understanding the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is not something we are given as Christians that we put in our pocket to pull out occasionally when we need to be spiritual. Believers are given the mind of Christ so that it will transform us and allow us to think and act differently in the world. Yesterday we learned that the wisdom of God, that which is consistent with the mind of Christ, produces a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. The wisdom of the world, however, produces discord, quarrels, and fights. Today, James will show us what is the root cause of those quarrels and fights. Listen now as I read James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James asks the question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? This is a rhetorical question. James is not asking them to think through what is causing them to fight he knows what the problem is, because the fact of the matter is that no matter what people fight over, the root cause of the fight is always the same. This is what James wants them to see and to understand. In order to do that, he asks another question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James is diagnosing the problem for them. He is telling them that the reason they quarrel and fight is that their passions are at war within them. But by asking the question, he forces them to think through it, and hopefully they will see it in themselves. He doesn't want to lecture them. He wants them to truly embrace what he is saying. Paul also talks about these warring passions in Romans chapter 7. What Paul says makes it clear that every believer, to some extent, will struggle against what they know to be true and the desires within them. In Romans 7 chapter or in Romans chapter 7 verses 21 through 25, he says, "So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I think we can all relate to what Paul is saying. We desire to live in a way that honors Christ, but we struggle to do so. 
We see Paul's angst when he calls himself a wretched man and asks how he can be delivered. If you find yourself in the same struggle, take heart in the promise of verse 25. There is deliverance in Jesus Christ. But the problem with those to whom James is writing is that they no longer fought these passions, but rather had chosen to pursue them, and their pursuit of their passions created a whole new set of problems. James will explain what happens when believers no longer strive to overcome their sinful passions. James will give two examples to prove the point. He says, you desire and don't have, so you murder. The desires that James is talking about in this part of the letter are desires that disrupt the community. And when he uses murder, he could be talking about the actual taking of life, but I think it is more likely that he is using the term the way Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that when someone is angry with his brother and lashes out in anger, he is guilty of murder and worthy of judgment. This was taking place amongst the believers who were the recipients of James' letters. They were angry because they didn't get what they wanted, and when they didn't get what they wanted, they lashed out in anger. This would have created a toxic environment in the church. It clearly means that they weren't using the mind of Christ, and it would have been a hindrance to them doing what they were called to do as God's people. Similarly, he tells them that they covet and can't obtain, so they fight and quarrel. To covet is to commit idolatry, and it reveals a profound lack of contentment in what God has provided. James says that their coveting resulted in fighting and quarreling. James is demonstrating to them how they are using worldly wisdom instead of the mind of Christ. When they covet and have evil desires which cause them to hate and lash out, they show that they are not showing the works of meekness in wisdom. The cause of their quarreling was their unfulfilled desires. James addresses this in two ways. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. He's thinking here of asking God. God does not withhold good gifts from his children, and he will always supply their needs. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? If the people to whom James is writing want good things, if they want to put on the mind of Christ, if they want to live in a way that pleases and honors God, God would give them everything they needed if they were to ask. But some may complain and say, but James, we did ask, and God didn't give us what we asked for. James answers that by saying, you ask and don't receive because your heart is in the wrong place. The point is that they were still being driven by their worldly desires and not godly wisdom. James ends with a stern rebuke and an important principle. The rebuke was, of course, directed at the people to whom he was writing and may or may not be directly applicable to us right now, but it could be if we are guilty of the same sin. But the principle is something we need to hear in order to avoid being guilty of the sin that James is condemning. The rebuke is this. He calls them adulterous people. James is not pulling punches. 
The people to whom he was writing were unfaithful. But this leads to the principle. The principle is this. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. He is not talking about being friends with people who live in the world, but rather he is talking about embracing the wisdom of the world and opposing the wisdom and the word of God. People are sometimes leery of this kind of either-or thinking, but James is not. If we embrace the wisdom of the world as normative, then we have made ourselves God's enemy. This makes the work we do here at Geneva both important and daunting. It is important because we are called to model and teach God's wisdom with the hope that our students leave here mature followers of Jesus Christ. We want them to be disciples. But it is daunting because of what James said earlier in his letter. He says this at the beginning of chapter 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. While that is daunting, we must remember that we have been given the mind of Christ and the Spirit of God indwells us. By God's grace, we will teach faithfully. Hold on to Christ. And as the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Today I will pray that everyone enjoys a restful weekend and that we are restored and ready for a new week on Monday. To end the week, I encourage you to visit the Spotify playlist, GSB Morning Devotional Hymns, and listen to Great is Thy Faithfulness. Join me as we pray. Father, we are grateful that the Spirit indwells us and that we have the mind of Christ. I pray that we would take seriously the calling that is before us to instruct and train these children, these students, that they might become disciples of Jesus Christ. And the task is daunting. And so I pray that your Spirit would give us grace, that your Spirit would encourage us as we seek to honor you with our lives. Thank you for this weekend that is coming up. Help us to rest well. Help us to worship with our churches and help us to come back on Monday morning refreshed and ready for the week ahead. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen.